Uh, all right, well, church, um, we, we're in for a treat. You know, we're, we're in this uh, very interesting time in our city and in our nation. And, um, uh, you know, as I said in the last video I did for you guys, uh, you know, oftentimes when we find ourselves in these situations, it's like, you know, what do we do? How do we respond? And, uh, you know, I, I was having a, uh, I think, was it Tuesday I called you? Monday? It might have been Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember. It was one of those days. One yeah. of those days, yeah. yeah. So this is my friend Daryl uh, Horton, who's uh, one of the ministers at Mount Zion Baptist Church and an absolute legend uh, in the church fashion game. Uh, he actually texted me on his way over here and said, hey, I didn't wear a suit. Is that okay? And I'm like, bro, I don't even own a suit. <laughs> if you, I actually have him off as a collared shirt hanging up in case Just you did case. come dripping. No, yeah. man. I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was like, I, I didn't know what to, what, no, what to do. I was trying to be respectful. Um, but he had dressed down to a... <laughs> but Daryl and I met actually on a phone call uh, with the mayor's office um, talking about uh, the church's response in uh, the COVID crisis. I mean, how about 2020, just the year of crisis? You For know? sure. It's yeah. interesting, interesting. And, uh, uh, and I was super privileged to be on that call. And as I was on the call, uh, I had been praying that uh, before the, the call with the mayor, I'd been praying that God would give me a, a, a brother in the city that uh, specific was an African-American brother that can be a bridge builder with me to see some real unity and change happen um, in Austin. And as I'm on the call, you know, obviously I'm, so anytime I have an opportunity to speak to Mayor Adler, it's an mm -hmm. honor. Sure, sure. Uh, and uh, you don't want to take those moments lightly. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of people that would like to give him some opinions, and the fact that he allowed us to Absolutely. give him some thoughts was cool. But on the call, I'm messaging Daryl, <laughs> <laughs> being, <laughs> being like, hey, can we be friends, please? Yeah. Like, I, uh, yo, here's my number, here's my email. <laughs> like, super fan, fanboy style, like, <laughs> Hey, I know I'm supposed to be listening to what the mayor's saying right now, but I think, I, I think I'm here just to meet you. Um, and then we ended up having a conversation. But when, yeah. when, all of, when, when the world got set on fire, yes. when, uh, you know, there, there was a, it was a, I will call it a divine perfect storm mm -hmm. of you have the murder of Ahmad, mm -hmm. and then, which was horrifying. Absolutely. And then you have the murder of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to be the breaking point for, for much of America. Sure. I, you know, I was watching an interview this morning uh, where they were noting that this might be one of the first times uh, that the entire nation is, is revolting together, not... Chicago is having riots right. and, and protests uh, and it's happening over here, but it's every city is protesting. Everybody is saying things have to change. Yes. The, uh, everybody is saying the system is broken. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember I called you. Honestly, heart, I'm pretty stirred up that, yeah. that morning. Um, 
And uh, we just started having a conversation that I thought, man, we, more people need to hear this talk. Yeah. Um, and, and so I called Daryl back and I said, hey, <laughs> um, I know we're just getting to know each other, but it kind of feels like we've known each other for forever. Yeah. So do you want to come and let's do a video and let's just have the conversation but let's not just me get benefited from what I'm hearing from you. Let's let our entire church and the, the broader reach of, of, of our community hear um, some of the things that as a leader, as an African-American leader who has been facing these issues mm-hmm. for longer than just this week. Yeah. I, I think what I felt personally was and I called my friend Clarence Hill, and I said, Clarence, I think I'm feeling what, what, what you have felt every day of your life. Hmm. And the privilege that I have as a white man is that I can say, you know what, I'm kind of tired of sure. feeling this. Yeah. And I can turn away. Right. And I can be like, you know what? I don't have to deal with this. And the thing that has been stirring in me is I don't want to turn away this time. Amen. You know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to turn away. I don't want our church to turn away. Yeah. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's hard for, for white people to hear mm-hmm. the phrase white privilege. Sure. I know that's challenging to hear. It's challenging for me to hear. Yeah. Uh, but it's real. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I love what, what Bishop T.D. Jake said, where he's like, look, privilege goes both ways. He goes, we go to the hood. Yeah. You're going to be treated different than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, it simplified it for a lot of my friends, where it's like, it, it's, white privilege is not that life was easy for you or right. that things were given to you or that you don't work hard. Right. It's just that, here's a fact. I walk into a store, mm-hmm. I'm seen differently than when you walk into a store. That's right. That's the privilege. That's it. The privilege is when I'm pulled over by the police, I'm never wondering if I'm gonna get shot at. Right. I see the police as they're here to help me, mm-hmm. they're here to protect my community. That's right. To my friends of color, when they see the police sirens come up on the back of their window, they're thinking more than that. It's a, di- <clears throat> it's a different feeling. It's, it's a, a different, different feeling. Yeah. And, and something you said to me, which I'd love for you to get into, is that this has been happening in Austin for a long time. Yes. Yes. And some of the protests, which I think you and I would agree, mm-hmm. that protest is good, powerful, and needed, uh, violence and the chaos is yeah. unnecessary. We can do without that. We part, can do without yeah. that part. Yeah. But if I'm being honest with you, as I lean into this issue, I understand it. Sure. Absolutely. I 100% understand it. If you're a, a teenage African-American man mm-hmm. and you've seen your dad and your grandfather and you've heard stories of his father and his grandfather, and then something like this happens, like, the, it's like, do you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. So take us into it, man. Take us into the struggle. 
of, of what you felt, what you've seen, and even some of the history that would maybe broaden the understanding mm-hmm. of some of the, the unrest that we're feeling in our city and, and even the nation. Sure. Um, well, Pastor J.D., thank you for, for letting me be here, man. And I man. appreciate the friendship that we have developed and we will continue to develop. And yeah. I'm with you. I feel like we've known each other for years yeah. and, and grateful to be here. For me, I think the reason why uh, are some of the things that people need to understand is, like you said, is there, it's the acknowledgement of what's actually taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm a native Austinite, been here all of my life, except for, like I said, probably almost four years or so. But part of what people have to understand about the city of Austin is that for almost 100 years, division was intentionally placed in this city. Wow. Um, For people who don't know it, I-35 is not just a figment of our imagination as the divider of the city, but it was intentional. Wow. Um, If you do your history, you'll find out that the city of Austin had what they called a 1928 city plan. And so in 1928, the city intentionally made a plan that what we now consider to be East Austin and the Eastern Crescent, they took all people of color and moved them to that side of what is now I-35. Wow. Before that point, where the University of Texas is, where a lot of those things are around Guadalupe and 24th Street and all of that, those used to be African-American communities in those areas until the University of Texas expanded and bought things. And if you go back and look at the history, it is amazing to see how those communities of color were treated, Mm. where they would have um, a community of color and they would put the trash dump right next to that community so that even as they're collecting trash around the city, you're driving down horse-drawn wagons with trash falling off both sides of the wagon And of course, they don't come back to pick it up because it's in that neighborhood. And so you mistreat that neighborhood until finally the people get fed up and they move. And so 1928 was a transformation of the city. All people of color were forced to move to the eastern side of I-35 then was known, I believe, as East Avenue. It wasn't known as I-35 until later. But everybody was moved over there if you wanted to have public services, because in order to keep segregation, they didn't think it made sense to have a white water fountain and a black water fountain in the same neighborhood. That didn't make sense. So let's have a black water fountain, but let's have it on the other side so it's wow. not duplication. So that's why when you look at the city of Austin today, that's why the majority of your African-American churches are in East Austin. That's wow. why the majority of the neighborhoods, that's why the high schools were there. That's why the middle schools were there because of that intentional division. Wow. And so when you begin to understand that and you begin to think about the fact that Congress Avenue and some of these other places, there were prominent African-American places there until the shift happened. Then you begin to understand why when people look at I-35, it's not just a highway. Yeah. But it's a visual reminder of how divided this city is. And studies have been done over the last several years saying that even though Austin makes all these magazines that this is the greatest place to live, Austin is still toward the top of the list as one of the most financially segregated cities in the country. And I-35 is that barrier. So I think people really need to understand that that was intentionally put in place. That's why you have the city dump on the east side of town. That's why you have the power plants, the water, you know, the Holly power plant, all that stuff. It took for years to shut that down and to do all of that because it was in the neighborhoods of black and brown people. 
And so when we still look at the city, when we still look at what takes place, now there's a shift happening some 90, almost 100 years later, where we talk about gentrification in East Austin, where people right. are now moving into East Austin and buying up the property and it's changing and it's moving because now it's popular. Now it's, uh, it's convenient to live closer to downtown. Right. But even though people may, be, ha may have the best intention of moving there because it makes sense for their family, most people don't think about the disruption Mm. that's taking place when that happens. East 11th and East 12th Street have a long history of African-American businesses and communities and all these other things, but when it comes in and gets redone, you're not just taking a building, knocking it down, and making it something new, but history is now lost. Wow. Heritage is now lost. Wow. People's, uh, pe people's heritage is now being lost, and I think because of how swiftly the transition takes place. Some people just don't understand that. And so part of that is the buildup of what happens in Austin because that's been happening over the years. And then if you think about the neglect that has been taking place, you don't have to, um, you don't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to go to certain parts of East Austin and look at parks and look at resources and look at infrastructure yeah. and notice that it's a little bit different yeah. from what you might find in West Austin. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that we have to be awakened to that and know that in years past, it was intentional. And so the challenge that you have about why now is for me, if there is a problem and you are aware of the problem, but you don't address the problem, mm. then there becomes a challenge of whether or not you're okay with it, right. whether you're supporting it, or whether you just don't care. And I think that's the challenge that most people who have been in Austin for a long time, especially in the, in the African-American community, is that this is the struggle that we've had for generations. And when you have another shooting, when you have another report that comes out that says African-Americans, even though we only make up 8% of the population, we're 17% of the traffic stops. And that's not new. Mm. And so it's just this frustration of year after year after year that it seems that nothing is changing. And when it changes, it's not changing for our betterment. Right. And so I think when you have a moment like this with Mr. Ramos's death, when you have yeah. a moment like this with Mr. Floyd's death, I think, like you said, it's a perfect storm. The pandemic, we've been locked in the house we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. My kids are frustrated. They didn't get to have the formal graduation. I can't do all these other things. And now there's another black man dead in the street and the whole world watched it. Right. I have to do something. Yeah. And so I'm with you in agreement. I think the marches, I think the protests, I think we ought to do that. But again, I think there's a better way. There's a kingdom way yeah. for us to do that in a safer way to get the point across. Something I, I think has been eye-opening to me. Mm-hmm is that I was aware of how pri pr the, the neighborhoods in our city and around the nation that are predominantly bl black and brown communities mm -hmm. don't get the same economic support mm -hmm. that, you know, the parks in Westlake look a little different than the parks in in, in East Austin. Sure. Um, but something that's been eye-opening to me is that how banks have played a role in loans. Sure. 
and uh, the ability to start businesses yes. and purchase homes yes. and the availability of even when uh, certain opportunities mm-hmm. come about, you know, uh, different opportunities that government is putting in place or something like that, yeah. that there's discrimination on who gets those loans that, that banks will. Could you give us a little bit more insight into that side of like the, when we hear about systematic racism? Yes. This, it goes deeper mm-hmm. than the effects of gentrification, the effects of, uh, uh, you know, sometimes we can automatically go just to the effects of segregation. Right. And, we're, and, and that's real. Yeah. But it's deeper. Absolutely. Yeah. This country has a long history of intentional things being put in place. One of the things that that I've heard and I've come to agree with this is that a lot of people like to say the system is broken. Mm. But the truth of the matter is the system is not broken. It's functioning exactly the way it was intended to function. Wow. So it's not broken. But as I've heard other people say, maybe it needs to be broken and needs to be fixed. And the reason we why need I say system. The, we need a new it, system. It needs to be a new system because, again, um, just a, just a brief history of of some of the things that challenged me is that let's think about the fact of when you have veterans who have gone off to war, whether they be white, black, brown, doesn't matter who they are. If you go back in history, there were moments, um, and if I'm correct, I hope I am. I think it's World War One, maybe World War Two, when the GI Bill is first in, is first given. You can go back and see in history that the GI Bill was not given to everybody. And some people are saying, well, the GI Bill, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal about it is, is that if you were a veteran and you were white and you were given the GI Bill, then that means you were given money to come back home and to build a house. You were able to establish a place to live that gave you credit, that gave you, um, you were able to build an investment in your home. And then you get the GI Bill, which allows you to go to college. Right. So imagine how much different your life would be if you are a veteran and you come home and you don't get any assistance to have a place to stay. You're still renting an apartment. Mm. You come home, you don't get any assistance to go to college to better your life. So you're still working a day-to-day job that has no place for advancement. And imagine if you do that raising a family and you have nothing to leave your family because you've been living in an apartment. Yeah, because you've been and then on top of that, you go back and look through history where there's a thing called redlining, where once African-American veterans were able to get money and were able to get the GI Bill, there were only certain places they could live. Mm. And so you would have a neighborhood that's created that even if it was predominantly white, if black families begin to move in, you would have that phrase we know as white flight. Right. Where we don't want to live with our families together. So what happens when black people move in? the property value begins to go down. And so we move and start another neighborhood for just us. Wow. And people don't like to think about the reality of how that was intentionally done. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the problem that I have is that whether people know it or not, this is 2020 and that same stuff still happens. It's still going on. I know people who have moved to Austin within the last five to six years and they will confess that when they talk with a realtor, a realtor will bring them into Austin. And if you don't ask to be shown certain parts of town, they will take you where they think you want to be. Mm. And if you're an African-American person, it's the typical 
places in Austin and Pflugerville where African-Americans have been. You have to specifically say, well, I was reading a brochure and I understand that there's a really nice neighborhood in this part of town. Why didn't you take me over there? Oh, well, I, didn't, I didn't know you wanted to go over there. I didn't mm -hmm. know you wanted to. So it still happens. Yeah. And so I, I think how we begin to get through places like this is, again, acknowledgement has to be the first part that these things are real. That, that these are real challenges that take place, that as you mentioned, that white privilege is a real thing. It's yeah. not made up. And so these are not figments of our imagination that um, I think it was a year or two ago, maybe longer than that, that, the, that this country was being shocked because white people were hearing for the first time about the talk. Right. And people were saying, well, what's the talk? Right. And they were saying for generations, black people have had to have the talk with their children. Yeah. And that is when you go out in public, if you're driving a car, if the police stop you, these are the things you do mm. to make sure you get home. Yeah. And, and not surprised, majority of white people were like, I never had that talk. My dad never had it with me. I never had it with my kids because you didn't have to. Right. And I think the first step in us doing this together is just acknowledging that there is a difference. You know, I, as you know, I, I have a unique perspective because I yes. have two black kids. Yeah. And, uh, and also shout out Pflugerville. That's where I live. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if I told you this story or not, but there was, there was a moment, uh, even in Pflugerville. Mm, oh yeah. Where, uh, on our, uh, the HOA mm -hmm. has a Facebook page, okay. which I just want to say is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> the people have that amount of time on their hands yes. to, to pick on my trash cans being left out for too yes. long. But uh, they're on that Facebook page. People, there, there was a group of African-American teenagers mm -hmm. that were playing basketball mm -hmm. on the court that we have in the neighborhood. And they were like, we, you know, these are kids coming from the, the, the poor neighborhood that connects to ours. We need to build a fence yeah. around the basketball court. We got to keep these kids out. Yeah. Right? Those kids live in our neighborhood. Wow. Well, now as a father of a, of an, of a black boy. Yes. For the first time in my life, I had, I'm feeling things that you feel every day. Mm -hmm. That when Kevin goes on a bike ride, mm -hmm. I have to be aware of things and he has to be aware of things that my son Tate mm -hmm. does not. No one's going to pull Tate over in the neighborhood and say, go home. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Yeah. But they will do that to Kevin. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is what has been so eye-opening yeah. for so, so many white Americans who have been oblivious sure. in a lot of ways to the fact that discrimination still happens. And I love that what you said. The system is working exactly how it was designed. Absolutely, yeah. And there's been systematic things put in place for generations. Yes. And then, and then, and I'd love for you to speak to this too, because this, this idea of, of generational trauma, mm -hmm. you know, I have my, my, 
uh, black kids mm -hmm. are from Africa. They're mm -hmm. from Burundi, little little country in Africa. Gotcha. And they um, have had things happen to them that you shouldn't even see in movies. Yeah. And that trauma mm -hmm. that they endured yes. affects how they're able to hear me, yeah. receive love from me. Sure. And even how they perceive a conversation from me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I could say something like, oh, hey, yo, Kevin, let's not eat any more candy. Mm -hmm. What he hears is, this man doesn't want me to have any more food. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not the intent, but. That's not the intent, but that's what his trauma, that's the lens his trauma has given him. Yeah. And, and there's a very real thing that, that a lot of our black and brown communities mm -hmm. have been living under generations of trauma. Yes. The fact that it's traumatic to me mm -hmm. to hear that if, you're, if you see police sirens behind you, you don't think help is on the way. Yeah. You need to figure out how to find some help. Yeah, that's traumatic. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, who, who yeah. do you call when the people that are supposed to protect you yeah. are not protecting you? And even if you, now, I think we would both agree but I, that there are some great people Absolutely. that are in law enforcement. Absolutely. This is, this is not Absolutely. a broad stroke uh, thing. That's right. But because of the, the, the few bad ones. Yes. And, and I would say, honestly, what's been disappointing for me mm -hmm. is the silence of the good cops. Yeah. How does that make you feel? You know, I, I imagine because of the relationships that I've built with, with several, uh, I mean, police chief, including a lot of the executive staff and a lot of the, the officers, I would imagine that this is a very complicated time for them. Sure. Especially African-American and, 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 and Hispanic and, and Asian officers. I, I would imagine that for people of color who are serving as officers, this is a very complex time. Because I would imagine that on the one hand, their heart can be torn mm. for what they've seen. To see another person that looks like them killed for what many of us would say no reason. Right. And so that hurts you at your heart because he looks like you. Right. He could be you. But then at the same time, there is a commitment that you've made to wear the badge. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that for some, they feel like there has to be a a place to defend the badge and to defend it with honor because that is the oath that they have taken. But right. how do you do that? Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, when so many have tarnished the same badge that you wear. And so I've never been a police officer, never desired to be one, but I would imagine that there's, there has to be some complexity in how they feel. But, but I'm with you that I would hope that many of them would have the courage to speak up and say, I mean, we know it in general that there are yeah. excellent, wonderful, incredible, amazing police officers. And there's a few, um, as, our, as our police department likes to say, rotten apples that spoil the bunch. Mm -hmm. But I think it would be helpful to hear from those 
apples who are shining, those right. who are doing the great work. That's why the stuff we see on the news has been so amazing the last couple of days when you see police officers spending time with young people, talking to them mm -hmm. and standing with them and walking with them and marching mm -hmm. with them. Um, because my hope is that those things are intentional, that they're sincere and that it's not a photo op right. moment right. just to try to get things to calm down. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, something that has been a, an eye opener for, for so, so many of us in these days is that when we start to talk about how deep the frustration goes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the, the boiling point of the young yeah. and the exhaustion of the old. Yes, yes. And, you know, the, the big question mm -hmm. is always, well, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, well, well, what do you want me to do? Yeah. You know, uh, how, how can I help? And uh, I, I hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, shoot, I feel that a lot. <laughs> you know, I mean, I am, you know, I'm, I'm walking in Target mm -hmm. yesterday. And, and I'm, I just want to go up to every person of color and just apologize. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I saw a couple guys in my neighborhood. I took everything in me not to pull over. I'm like, hey, man, y'all don't know me. We, yeah, you know, but I'm but, sorry. But I'm man. sorry, man. I'm so, yeah. You know, uh, like just because I want to do something. I yeah. want to be about the solution. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't want this to be another blip. Right. In history, where, where, where Mr. Floyd's name just gets added to a list. That's right. Mr. Ramos' name just gets added to a list. That's right. Um, it's, I, I want to change. And, and a phrase yeah. that, that I've been using is, change has to happen in us. Yes. Before change can happen through us. Yeah. You know, I, I love that not only are you... You have more degrees than, than I have letters in my name. You, you uh, are on every committee and uh, you know everybody. Uh, you, you also believe that Jesus is the answer. Yes, sir. That, that in the midst of uh, all of the policy that we do need to write. Yes. And the conversations that we do need to have a voice in. Yes. And we are, both of us are privileged to have the ear of very influential people in our city where we can voice these things. Yes. And that's important. Yes. Um, but I would love for you to take us into, from, from your perspective mm -hmm. as a black leader, mm -hmm. um, the kingdom, because sometimes, if I'm gonna be honest with you, yeah. it, can get conf it can get hard because it's like, we want to fight for social justice. We want to fight for justice. But oftentimes, the teams that are fighting for that yeah. are not believing for the same end game, right? Like, yeah. you know, so they're, yeah. they're not kingdom teams. It's not always the exact same strategy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, not the same, it's not the same strategy. Yeah. But that's why, that's why I love you so much is that you, you have a kingdom strategy. Mm-hmm. And, but I think 
I don't want to ask you, what, what do we do? But I do want to ask you, how do we pray? Yeah. You know, how do we pray for, how do we support mm-hmm. our friends of color? Sure. Uh, as a church, speak to me. As a, as a white leader, mm-hmm. how, how do I comfort mm-hmm. uh, those who are mourning? Yeah. In this, you know, how do I, how do I have the courage mm-hmm. to say that Black Lives Matter? Yeah. And and understand that even me just saying that right there. Yeah, it's gonna get you some eyebrows raised. Bro, and go. <laughs> you know what? Raise them, raise them. You know, because my Black kids' mm-hmm. lives matter. That's right. That's right. To me, it's, it, I get irritated, honestly. Everything gets politicized, but I think yes. at the end of the day, uh, the kingdom of heaven trumps politics. Yes, yes. You know, and so we're made in the image of God, all of us. That's right. And I love, I don't know if you know who Pastor Carl Lentz is in New York, but he, I love what he says, is anybody with a half-functioning brain knows that all lives matter. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. not everybody is hurting right now. Yeah. And he goes yeah. on, he said, you know, the same people that say that, you'll love this. He goes, the same people that say that were probably the exact same people that when Jesus said, blessed are the poor, that he, they stood up and said, nah, Jesus, blessed are all people. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got <laughs> <laughs> I loved it when he that said that. Be, yeah. I was like, bro, of That'd course. be pretty cool to hear uh, Jesus' response to Yeah, to that would have been cool. But anyways, how do we pray? How do yeah. we comfort? How do we, you know, a phrase that's used in the white church in addressing this issue is how do we lament? How do we, yeah, yeah. You've probably heard that a few times. Sure. I've, I've never heard that from a black pulpit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But like, um, how do we support, mm-hmm. make you, your community, you, you're, you're speaking for everybody right now. Of no course. pressure, no everybody. pressure. Yeah, yeah. No yeah, pressure yeah. there. Um, but how do we have your back in this? Gotcha. Great question. Um, you asked the question, how do we pray? For, for me personally, what I believe the prayer still has to come from John 17. Mm-hmm. It has to be the prayer of unity for the king. For king we're talking about kingdom people. Yeah, amen. It, it still has to be John 17 where Jesus prays on his way to Calvary to let them be one mm. as you and I are one. Wow. Now, what I love about it is that Jesus not only taught us to pray, but Jesus taught us to do. It would be Mm. one thing if Jesus prayed to the Father and said, please accept my disciples. You've placed them in my hand and and assure their salvation. But then he refused to go to Calvary. Mm -hmm. Then there'd be a problem. Yeah. But he prayed, he taught, he walked with them, and then he made the sacrifice. Wow, wow, wow. And so what, I, what, 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 I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to encourage all the people I know is that we have to pray because that's what God taught us to do. Come on. We have to pray. And what I say is to pray for unity, to pray for changed hearts, to pray for opened eyes. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I notice, and, and I'll give a plug, which I probably shouldn't, I don't know, but there's an amazing class that I've been through like three times, and it's called Courageous Conversation. Mm. And it's a class that allows 
anybody who wants to, to look at race in this country. And there are moments in that class where it hurts to look at what happens. Oh, I'm sure. But some of the eye-opening moments is we talk about white privilege. We talk about the fact that all of us have things based on our privilege that we don't have to think about every day. And here's mm -hmm. one of the funny ones. They give us a survey and say, tell us how many times you've ever had to think about these things. And one of the ones that's always hilarious every time I've been in the class is that it says, have you ever had to search for band-aids that match your skin tone? Mm. And as silly as that is, 99.9% .9 of white people buy band-aids, put them on their skin Don't even think and about never it. think about it. But for a black person, what if I wanted to put a Band-Aid on and didn't want everybody to see? Mm -hmm. How am I going to do that? Because the Band-Aid doesn't match. Right. How often do you go in the store and you've ever seen store employees following you? Mm. For most white people, that's not even a thought that comes to mind. But for many African-Americans, that's a reality. Yeah. And so what I would tell people to pray is for an awareness, for an awakening, for an opening of our minds. And I, and I also have to make sure that I'm very clear. Major I'm going to speak for me. Go. As a black person, what I'm not asking for white people to do is to save me mm. or to feel sorry for me. Okay. The only thing I'm asking and the reason I speak out is because I want you to understand. Because yeah. I believe that when there's understanding and when there's awareness, then there can be empathy. Yeah. My life has been privileged more than some. I grew up in a household. We were not poor. We were not rich. Mm. But my, my parents did a good job taking care of us. My mother never worked mm. because she was able to do that. And she took care of us and took care of neighborhood children, did all of those things. And so by no means am I living one of those stories that people would expect me to talk about growing up in the hood and I dealt drugs and I didn't have any of that. And so my life has been privileged to an extent. Mm. But at the same time, I do know what it's like to be a teenage boy minding my own business, walking downtown and to walk past a car with a white person in it. Us make eye contact and she slams to lock the door. Mm. I know what that feels like. Yeah for a person to do that. I know what it feels like to go and to speak or to preach at a predominantly white church and have somebody come afterwards with, I'm assuming, the sweetest of intent and say, you are so articulate. Mm. How am I supposed to take that? Yeah. Is the expectation that I wouldn't be? Right. Were, were you expecting me to not be able to put a subject and verb together? What were you, and, and again, I think a lot of this stuff happens giving the benefit of the doubt, it happens with a sincere heart, but you right. just have to be aware of what you say and what you do. Yeah. Because there are things, like you said, that people have to live with and people have to understand is that for most African-American people, it doesn't matter how many letters are behind my name. Mm -hmm. I still have to prove who I am. I still right. have to prove that I deserve to sit at the table. I still have to prove that this was not given to me, right. but that I've earned it. And those, are, and those are struggles or challenges that I think the first step is just to be aware that you have a friend, you have a brother or a sister, and this is real for them. Right. I think that's the first place of support. And so that's what I would talk about with the prayers. I would even say that if, if, if a person wants to be supportive, is it's talked about what you said is having that courage to be able to say things um, that you are feeling. 
mm-hmm. is that you it should be okay for you to stand up and say in your pulpit, the death of George Floyd was a tragedy. It did not need to happen. Mm-hmm. And we ought to be mourning because of it, because it happened. Mm-hmm. We ought to not be afraid to say that racism is alive. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had friends who pastor churches who have had members tell them, I don't know why you keep talking about this. We dealt with racism in the 60s. It's gone. Mm. But I think if you watch the news, videos would tell us different. Yeah. You know, how is it that you have two people who have committed identical crimes? Their jail sentences are different. Mm -hmm. The way they're treated by the cops, the way they're apprehended is different. You have a black man with nothing in his hand, with his hands raised in the air, he ends up shot. You have a white man who drives a car into a police car. You have a white man that runs toward cops with a gun in his hand, and somehow he ends up with twist ties on his hands and walks to the police station. How do you justify the difference? Mm -hmm. And it's because we have to be aware that racism still exists. Not everybody who does a racist thing is racist, Mm. but we have to understand that there are racial biases. We have to understand that these things are real. And so I think until we understand the reality of that and quit saying that the civil rights movement fixed it, that when President Obama became president, everything was fixed. (laughs) That, that was not a fix-all. Some people would right. say things have been worse since then because people are now trying to overcorrect right. the, the things that were changed. So that's, that's what I would encourage people to do is to understand the reality of what it is. Look at your own life and just think about the privileges, as you mentioned earlier. When I turn off the news and quit watching CNN, I don't have to worry about that because I can go and live and do what I want to do. I can stay in my neighborhood I don't have to worry about the cops. I don't have to worry about this. My children, I don't have to worry about them being impacted. But there are some of us that even when we turn off the TV, it's still a deal. Mm -hmm. And so I still have to be conscious. I still have to be aware, depending on the neighborhood I drive in, depending on the car I drive, depending on where I go. I have to be conscious. And it's not being paranoid. It's a reality. Right. Um, And so... In all of that, I hope I'm answering your no, question. No, you are. It's beautiful. For, for me, one of the things that overrides everything is the idea of love. Mm. Here's the thing that's weird to me. I don't consider myself to be that old, but I can still remember. I mean, you're just I can still 20s, remember. Bro, so. Yeah, still in my, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can still remember as a young boy, my paternal grandmother worked for white people in Austin. Mm. My grandmother was a housekeeper for a family in Austin. Every day, she got up in the morning, left her house, and stayed at somebody else's house all day, cooking, cleaning, taking care of their kids, washing dishes, doing all of that in their house. I'm old enough to remember her doing that. Wow. And for some people, we think that that was so far away. Yeah when we watch the movies and we watch some of the other things, but, but it was not that long ago yeah. when that was the case. And I still remember that we, my father would be able to take us to their, to their house, but we could never go inside. Wow. 
My grandmother is in there serving them, but her grandchildren could not come in the house. And so the reason I talk about love is because as God would have it, the children of the people my grandfather, my grandmother was taking care of, God would bring us full circle. Mm. And I became reunited with them in a very around the way manner. And we were able to rebuild a relationship, wow. not because they, they treated my grandmother well, don't get me wrong, sure. but it's just the idea of having black people working for white people and people think that that was in the 20s and 30s. Yeah. You know, and so I think that love has to override everything that we do. Yeah. And so that's why even growing up, there are many times that we were taught to be leery mm -hmm. of most white people because there's an yeah. ulterior motive. Wow. If they're being nice to you, it's because they're up to something, because they want something from you, because they're trying to do something to you. So always be on your guard. And I think that as I've become older, some of these things you have to break down and you have to trust the sincerity of a person as you meet them. Mm. Just like I don't want all white people to say that all black people are thugs, that all black people are from the hood. I don't think all black people should say that all white people are racist and have ulterior motives. You need to get to know that person mm. and find out who they are. And I think that's the blessing of what I would consider the privileges I have now is that God has put me in circles and in places mm. to meet people of every race and nationality who love God and who love people. Yeah. And so I think that's what's good for me is that I have the opportunity to meet them, to know their story, and for us to uplift the kingdom together and to work together side by side to change the systems that are in place. Yeah. And so that's what I would tell people to do is that the love that God challenges us to love people with, let that be your guide. Yeah. You have to be smart. Sure. I believe that Jesus tells us that we ought to be wise as serpents right, and harmless as doves or harmless as sheep and all of that. But we do have to be smart and have discernment. But I do think that we have to let love lead the way or else yeah. we'll never come across I-35 and me hang yeah. out with you. You hang out with me. You come to church with me. I come to church with you. That'll yeah. never happen if we allow those walls to stay up that we can't trust each other based on yeah. the color of our skin. And so I don't know if I answered your Man, question. No, or, you, that was absolutely perfect. Um, I, I, there's so much that you said that I, I'm just like, dude, I just want to rewind this and listen to it again. Cause I think it's so, helpful um, and eye-opening mm. to the struggle that is so real for so many. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think what, what I'd love, if, if you're cool with that, I'd love for you just to pray for us. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's important to highlight one thing that you said, mm -hmm. that I can't wait to go to your church. <laughs> When all this craziness yeah, when all this, is done. Yeah, when, when we, we can, open back up. <laughs> yeah, when, when we open back up, we can have church. Uh, I can't wait to go to your church, man. And um, I think that that's something that is important, that let's not, let's not have uh, token friends of color. That's right. Let's have friends. That's right. And that's what it has to be. You know because, what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's... And uh, let's and and let's be real enough friends, absolutely, to have uh, real conversations yeah. with with each other. You know, one of my 
good buddies this dude named Big John Williams. <laughs> and uh, he lives up to that. He'll be watching this. He's a, we've stayed connected through all these years, but he was the strength conditioning coach at Baylor okay. when I was there. And uh, Big John, for whatever reason, liked me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we became friends. And um, I remember the first time I'm in the weight room, I'm going to his office, and he says, uh, man, can you believe that some coaching position filled in the Big 12 was filled? He was like, can you believe it was filled by another white guy? Mm. And I remember looking at him being like, you think he got the job because he was white? <laughs> I, I had like no yeah. grit. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, man, 100%. And I remember it was hard for me to hear that. Sure. But it was, that's when it was the beginning for me. Yeah. 2001. Yeah. When I was like, huh. Because Big John was my, my dog, man. He was that's my right. friend. He's cool. Like, he's... I'd, he, I'm at his house, he's in my house, you know what I mean? Like our yeah. wives were friends, like I, I didn't know him as a activist. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when he said it, I had to hear it. And I think that that's kind of the moment we're in right now. Yeah. We're saying things that are uncomfortable. Yes. But I had to hear it. We have to hear it. Yes. And, and I'm gonna speak some truth right now. Next week, there will be another story Mm-hmm. the news cycle will close on this sure the news sure. cycle has closed on the coronavirus in a lot of ways because this has kind of come up and you see it like oh yeah zilker park is loaded yeah 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 you know like people are kind of like all right cool let's yeah let's move on it's imperative this is not a this is a gospel issue yeah when jesus came and died on the cross and he said there's no longer any separation. There's no Jew. Yeah. There's no Gentile. Um, it is, this is a gospel issue. Yes. And that's why I think it's so hot in culture because the devil mm-hmm. wants to do everything he can. Oh, yeah. To keep us divided. Yeah. Because yeah. when we start coming together, not as a colorblind church, I hate that phrase. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I love that you're black. Yeah. Love being black. So you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, it's cooler to be black, honestly. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> um, uh, but I love that you're black. I love, I love the perspective that you bring because of your culture. I love, yeah. I love uh, the way that you worship. Yeah. I love that the way that you pray. And I don't want that to go away. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I want to celebrate that. I, I want to say we need that. Yeah. I want to say I see Jesus in that. Yes. And, and unity is not us all becoming the same. That's right. That's right. Unity is all us coming together and saying we worship the same God. That's right. That's right. Yeah. When I say Jesus, you say Jesus, same homie. Same one. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you know, what I pray, you pray, same God. Yeah. Holy Spirit touches me. Holy Spirit touches you. Yeah. Same Holy Spirit. Yeah. And yeah. there's beauty in us coming together. And celebrating our differences. Yes. And there's beauty in us coming together and understanding that those differences mm-hmm. shape 
how we're treated. Yes. And my, before you pray for us, my challenge to all of you that are watching this that, that heard some things that stung mm-hmm. or that were hard to hear, um, the sting, it reveals an opportunity for growth. That's it. That's it's, it. it, it this, I have been stung multiple times, and you, you can't have conversations like this without, without being stung. Yeah, yeah. You have, to, you have to make yourself vulnerable and be willing to hear it because you had your moment in 2001. Everybody should have a moment. As, as a black man, I've had that moment mm-hmm. where I realized that something is different, mm-hmm. where I realized that things may be different for me and I have to operate in a different way. But still, it's about the kingdom message. The calling that God has given me is higher than the other. And I believe that God uses the kingdom message to get this done. Let's go. On that, pray for us, bro. If you want to start preaching in your prayer, (laughs) you do it. No, thank you so much for having me today. This has been a blessing. Thank you, my friend. We're going to do it again. Yes, sir. We're going to do it again. God, we are so thankful for this time together. I want to... Pray and ask your choicest blessings over Pastor mm-hmm. J.D., over the Antioch Church, over all who are listening and who have watched this. And so, God, we know that conversations are difficult. We know that words can be hard to hear. We ask mm-hmm. that you would help us to have that inner look to allow each of us to look inside of ourselves, to see our heart. And that you would help us to have the ability to deal with what we find on the inside. We know that it's scary. We know that it's hard. We know Mm -hmm. that it's intimidating. But if we're going to be better, we have to say what David said, and that is create in me a clean heart. Yes, in Jesus' name. Because, God, we can no longer hide behind ignorance. Mm. The death of George Floyd tore the veil. That's right. So that none of us can look at that image. Mm Mm-hmm. And act that we, as if we don't know. That's right. And so, God, right now, I just pray for an awareness for all of us. Thank you, Lord. That we would look at it, that we would cry unto you with a heart of repentance for mm-hmm. whether it be the sin of silence, whether it be the sin of perpetuating all that has taken place throughout this country. Mm-hmm. We just ask, God, that you would forgive us mm-hmm. for whatever we've done to contribute to the issue. Mm-hmm. But then God also help us to embrace your grace and mercy to know that we have another chance. We have redemption through you. Mm-hmm. that we can act right now, that That's we can right. now love our neighbor as you've called That's us right. to love them, That's that we right. can right now make a difference, that we can speak up and no longer be silent, that That's we can right. now serve one another and serve your kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so, God, each of us, you've given different abilities, you've given different opportunities and resources. Help us to use our resources yes. to build up your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. And then, God, my prayer right now is that you would help the church, as we like to say, the big C church, to yes. step up in this moment and, Jesus and show this nation what love looks That's like. That's right. Help us to love the protester. Help us to love the racist. Help us mm-hmm. to love the police officer. Help us yeah. to love those who don't even want to change. That's right. Because your word said that even while we were yet sinners, that you loved us. That's right. And so God, help us right now Mm -hmm. to do a self-examination. Put it in our hearts and minds to intentionally be better Mm -hmm. so that our society might do better. In Jesus' name. And so, Lord, I pray pray again for the Antioch Church. I pray for Mount Zion. I pray for every church in your name. Mm-hmm. And ask that you would help us to come together to Thank do you, your Lord. kingdom work. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time together. We bless you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. 
Amen. Amen.